Now please turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. chapter 2 and we're going to look at from verse 14 all the way to verse 41. That's chapter 2 from verse 14 to verse 41. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Jewel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and vapor of smoke, the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, losing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced, for my flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day, being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants to his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourself are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord 
and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized and they were added to the day about 3,000 souls. Amen. Uh, brothers and sisters, the title of my sermon this morning is Resurrection Power. A closer look at the birth of the Christian Church. Resurrection Power. The book of Acts describes the advance of the Christian faith. Here we see the spread and the proliferation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, in the book of Acts, we see the birth of the Christian church. In this book, we see God working through the lives of ordinary people. In this book, we see men and women captivated by the significance of the resurrection. We see the church rising. We see men and women putting their armor on. We see disciples hearing the call of their captain, Jesus Christ. We see the weak strengthened. We see the timid standing in boldness. We see people who understood the significance of the risen Jesus Christ. This is what I want to emphasize this morning, brothers and sisters, that a clear grasp of the significance of the resurrection will lead to a deeper devotion to Jesus Christ. A clear grasp of the significance of the resurrection will lead to a deeper devotion to Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 1, verse 3, we see the resurrected Jesus appearing to the disciples. And what is he doing? He's teaching them about the kingdom of God. You see, in other ways, Jesus appeared to the, to, the, to the disciples to teach them about why he died, about why he was raised, and what needs to follow after that. See, in Luke 24, verse 25, it tells us that this resurrection Jesus came to the disciples and he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem and Jesus says to his disciples you are witnesses of these things and behold I am sending you the promise of my father upon you but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high and so for 40 days, Jesus spoke with them. 
For 40 days after the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus ate with the disciples. He taught them from scripture. He reminded from scripture about his death, about his resurrection, and about what needs to follow from this. Listen to how this passage put it in Luke 24, verse 45. It says he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day be raised from the dead. And then what? And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You see, brothers and sisters, we cannot be ignorant about the resurrection. A poor understanding of the resurrection leads to a false Christianity. But a clear grasp of the significance of the resurrection will lead to a deeper devotion to Jesus Christ. See, after the disciples had their interaction with Jesus Christ, they were changed. Oh, they remembered the truth. They remembered what Jesus taught them during his ministry. They now grasped the meaning of the resurrection. See, they were transformed. They they had zeal and passion and devotion that could not be stopped. You see, there was a switch in their thinking. Fear was gone and boldness took over. You see, they now understood the meaning of the resurrection. They knew that because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, salvation was now available and sinners must hear it. And they must preach it. First Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. For he has caused us to be born to a living hope. Through what? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You see, these disciples now understood this truth, that because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, salvation is secure and they must proclaim it. Romans 8, 34, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, he's the one who was raised. The disciples, the apostles, were gripped by this power of the resurrection. And they knew that because of the resurrection, sinners can be rescued from the future wrath of God. And they must preach this message. You see, they knew that the dead will be raised, and they had to preach this message. So what was behind the zeal of the disciples in the church? It was a clear grasp of the significance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this is what led to their zeal, to their devotion to Jesus Christ. Now I want to ask this morning, how did a clear understanding of the resurrection transform the disciples of Jesus? Now that they understood the resurrection, what did they do? And this question is also for us, brothers and sisters, now that we understand the resurrection, what must we do? They proclaimed Jesus boldly. First, they proclaimed Jesus boldly. Look with me to Acts chapter 2, verse 14. It says, But Peter, standing with the eleven, 
lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. Now in this section we see the first Christian sermon. We see the sermon that converted 3,000 souls. We see Peter in boldness. This is a different Peter. A few weeks ago, he denied Jesus when he was being questioned by a slave girl. But now he's transformed. He is changed. He is different. He has this new boldness to proclaim his master, Jesus Christ. He proclaims Jesus Christ before the men of Judea. He stood up and he lifted up his voice and he addressed them. Where did this boldness come from? He met the resurrection Jesus, the resurrected Jesus Christ. He understood the significance of the resurrection. Now, let's look at the context to this sermon that, preacher, that Peter is about to preach to these people. What is happening? It is the day of Pentecost. Now, Pentecost was 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we know that Jesus had been with them for 40 days after his resurrection. But now he has ascended into heaven. The disciples are all in Jerusalem as instructed by Jesus. Remember Jesus told them, stay in Jerusalem. Now listen to how the Bible explains this Pentecost event. This once-off event that was to mark the beginning, the birth of the church. Now, I just want you to look at from verse 1 of chapter 2. From verse 1, it says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. So the disciples were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, and at this sound the multitude came together. So people are gathered there and they hear this sound and they want to come together to observe what's happening. And at this sound the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of them, of us, uh, speaking in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, They are filled with new wine. So, brothers and sisters, we see the Holy Spirit descending upon the disciples and upon the people who were gathered there. And then the people start speaking different languages. 
And so when those who knew them and saw them and knew where they were coming from, knew that they couldn't speak those languages, they were surprised. They said, how is it that I see this person who should not know this language speaking this language? And so it says others were mocking and said they are filled with new wine. And now Peter, he stands, he stands boldly. He lifts his voice and he wants to explain what is going on. You see, he lifts his voice to preach Christ. And this is not just empty boldness. This is not boldness without substance. He has something to say. He has something concrete, something material, something of substance to say. See, he stands up, he lifts up his voice and he addresses them. You see, Peter says, let me explain this to you. Now, what does he preach? He preached salvation in Jesus Christ alone. And so he begins by explaining the plan of salvation. He begins by explaining God's plan of salvation. You see, he explains that salvation is promised and planned by God. See, in other words, salvation is the work of God and salvation can only be found in God alone. Listen to how he puts it. He says, let this, verse 14, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Jewel. You see, friends, what Peter is saying is that it is God's plan to save sinners and he will do this through the church. And what Peter is saying to them is what you are seeing happening today is the birth of the church. Peter proclaims and explains to these people that this has always been God's plan. The scriptures attest to that this has been prophesied by the prophet Jewel. You see, Peter quotes Jewel chapter 2. And I want you to see the opening and the closing promises of Jewel's citation. Peter quotes that prophecy from Jewel. And the beginning of that prophecy says, God declares, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And at the end of that prophecy, it says, It shall come to pass that all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And Peter takes uh, this section of Joel's prophecy and he explains it to the people. He says, look at this, brothers and sisters, salvation is planned and promised by God. God declares, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. That it shall come to pass that all who call, upon, who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now Peter picks that up and he declares it to the people. He first explains that salvation is God's plan. You see, salvation is not a pact or a settlement or a deal where man and God meet each other halfway. But salvation, it is God reaching out to the sinner and rescuing the sinner from hell. Salvation is the initiative of God. 
Salvation is the design of God. It emanates from God and it originates from God. And this is the first thing that the apostles wanted to stress in their teaching. That salvation is God's plan and the church will be the vehicle that will spread this message. In Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus was speaking to the disciples and he said to them, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come to you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Peter now observes, he says, we are in Jerusalem as Jesus instructed. And the Holy Spirit has descended upon us. This is it. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you. Give ear to my words. This is what was prophesied by the prophet Jewel. This is the beginning of the fulfillment of God's promise to save sinners. This outpouring of the Holy Spirit is what will kick it off. This is the birth of the church. This is what it will take to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. The nations will be saved through this message. This is it. This is the beginning of new things. The gospel is ready to spread. Brethren, the Christian faith is not a fad. It's not a craze. It's not a trend. But it is God's design to save sinners through the work of the local church. And this is why the church came to be, to proclaim good news to the lost, to preach the message of salvation. See, brothers and sisters, the disciples had a clear grasp of the significance of the resurrection. And because of this, they preached Christ boldly. And they preached God's plan of salvation. Now, Peter does not only stop there, but he continues to preach Jesus Christ as an exclusive Savior. He preaches Jesus Christ as an exclusive Savior. Look at verse 22. He says, Man of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. See, Peter is teaching that salvation is found in Jesus Christ alone. You see, friends, the doctrine of salvation in Jesus Christ alone did not start during the time of the Reformation. This is the teaching that Jesus himself taught, and this is the teaching that was taught by the disciples. Jesus himself in John 14 says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no one comes to the Father except through me. And the apostles also continued in that. You see, in preaching the exclusive Christ, Peter begins by stating that Jesus was attested by God. Look at verse 22. He says, this man was attested by God. He says, Jesus Christ was a man attested to you by God. Now, this word means that Jesus was endorsed by God. God gave witness about him. God approved him. God trusted him to do the work of salvation. You see, this word, attested by God, means that Jesus was demonstrated to be from God. See, this means that God put his 
stamp of approval upon Jesus Christ. And because of this, Peter explains to these people, I'm teaching to you an exclusive Jesus Christ because it is only him who was attested by God. You see, he, he had the affirmation of God upon him. God put his stamp upon him. He's the one who was sent out by God. Jesus was attested by God in his birth. He was born of a virgin. He was attested by God in his baptism. God said of him, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He was attested by God in his victory over temptation. He was attested by God in his ministry. He was attested by God in his teaching. He spoke with boldness, not like the scribes and the Pharisees. He was attested by God in his transfiguration. The hand of God was upon him. You see, brothers and sisters, here's the big idea. Jesus is the only Savior that God sent to save men and women in sin. And this is the message that Peter proclaimed to these people. This was the real Messiah. He was attested by God. Friend, if you are here, you are not saved, I appeal with you this morning. Trust in the only Savior who is attested by God. Peter, in another sermon, he says, there's salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That's chapter 4, verse 12. Put your trust in Him. He's able to save. He's a Savior, attested by God. They also preached that Jesus Christ was delivered up by God. Jesus Christ was delivered up by God. Look at verse 22 to 23. Men of Israel, hear his words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and knowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Now, in other words, the death of Jesus Christ was God's plan. See, the death of Jesus Christ was God's plan because the punishment for sin is death. And there was no one else worthy and qualified to save sinners. There was no one able to absorb the wrath of God upon sinners. So God sent Jesus to die for sinners. You see, this shows us two things. The seriousness of sin before God and the love of God for sinners. And Peter proclaims this truth to them, that Jesus was not a mere victim in the hands of evil men. Isaiah 53 verse 10 tells us this, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. Jesus also says this about himself, that no one takes my life from me, but I lay down on my own accord. John 10, 17. The apostles did not only stop here, they also preached that man is responsible for his sin. Look at verse 22 
men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. What does it say? As you yourselves know. Peter says, you have no excuse to claim that you did not know who Jesus was. Because he was attested by God right in front of your eyes. Well, one may ask, what about us? We, we have not seen Jesus. Uh, these people saw him. We, we have not seen him. Uh, we, we have an excuse. Brothers and sisters, we don't have any excuse. We don't have an excuse because we have reliable sources that tell us about Jesus Christ. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. We have the Epistles. We have the entire New Testament. We have Moses. We have Psalms. We have the prophets. We have sources from sacred scripture. And we have sources from unbelievers telling us about Jesus Christ and what he did. We have no excuse to ignore Jesus. Man is responsible for his sin. The apostles preached this. We must also preach it. Look at how Peter continues to stress this point that man is responsible for his sin and he stands guilty before God. Look at verse 23. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and knowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. You see, Peter goes on the offense now. He calls it straight. He says, yes, God is sovereign. Man is also responsible. He says, you crucified and killed Jesus Christ. Verse 23, you are the ones who killed Jesus Christ. At the end of verse 36, he says the same thing. You are the ones who crucified Jesus. Man is responsible for his sin. Man is responsible for his sin. John Stott says this, before we can begin to see the cross as something done for us, we have to see it as something done by us. Brothers and sisters, before you see the cross as God's intervention for you, you first have to see yourself as one who deserved sin and deserved the wrath of God, deserved the punishment of God. See him put it this way, it was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. Man stands guilty before God. Everyone is responsible for their sin. Apart from Jesus Christ, I am guilty before God. You are guilty before God. Friend, who will be your savior when you stand face to face with God? Who will be your mediator? Who will defend for you when God demands that you account for your life? Who will be your advocate? Who will be your goal in between? Who is going to absorb the wrath of God when God demands you to pay for your sins? I'm appealing with you this morning. Be reconciled with God. There is salvation available for you this morning. And if you are a believer, marvel afresh at this truth. Be in awe of what God has done for you. 
Preach this truth to yourself daily. Depend upon the gospel. Trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Remind yourself daily that it is not by your works that you are accepted by God, but it is by the righteousness of Jesus Christ that you are accepted by God. Proclaim this truth boldly. Now Peter continues with his sermon. Now friends, mark this. If we preach Jesus as a man who was attested by God, who taught the truth, who lived an innocent life, and who died for sinners, and we stopped here, would he be a complete savior? Would he be a complete savior? What is missing in this teaching, church? The resurrection is missing in this teaching. This is what Peter deals with next. Look at verse 24. He says, Acts 2.24, God raised him up, losing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. He is risen. He is risen. He is risen indeed. See, brothers and sisters, Peter preached the exaltation of Jesus Christ. Jesus is exalted by God. This word means that Jesus is of high ranking. He is elevated. He is superior. He is powerful. Jesus has authority. Jesus is dignified. He is highly esteemed. You see, this next section, we see Peter proclaiming the exaltation of Jesus Christ. Peter teaches about the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus Christ. And he takes up his second scripture. Remember when when he began, he said, salvation is God's plan and the prophets have spoken about it. The jewel has spoken about it. And now he says, Jesus has been raised from the dead. And he picks up his second passage, Psalms chapter 16. He quotes Psalm 16. And look at what he says. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. That's in Acts 2 verse 27. Now, what is the meaning of this? In Psalm 16, these are the words of David. David uh, writes that psalm and he says, For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let the Holy One see corruption. So David says that he will never stay in the grave. His body will never see decay in the grave. Now Peter, he explains this text. Look at verse 29 to verse 36. He says, brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants to his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, brothers and sisters, Peter takes the psalm of David and he says David was not speaking about himself, but he was speaking about his son. He was speaking about Jesus Christ. 
And he was prophesying, he was speaking as a prophet. And what he said about Jesus Christ was, was that Jesus Christ would not decay in the grave. His body would not rot in the grave. He would be raised from the dead. You see, David was speaking about Jesus as a prophet. He was prophesying that Jesus would be raised. He would not rot in the grave. And we know that Jesus died. And his tomb is with us today. But what is the difference between the tomb of David and the tomb of Jesus? Is that the tomb of Jesus is empty. The tomb of Jesus is empty. Jesus is no longer in the manger. Jesus is no longer in exile in Egypt. Jesus is no longer constrained by the limits of this world. Jesus is no longer subject to the crucifixion. He is not in the grave. He is risen. He is elevated. You see, brothers and sisters, if Jesus is not resurrected, then he is not a complete savior. If Jesus was not raised, then he was a fraud, he was a phony and a con man. But he is risen and he has been raised by God. In verse 32, it says, This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing today. You see, pay attention to Peter's argument as he gets to the end of his sermon. He says, God raised Jesus up. Jesus is now exalted at the right hand of God. Jesus has, has received the promise of the Holy Spirit and he now pours it out to you. See, this is why there's Pentecost, that once-off event that marked the birth of the church. Peter is arguing that because Jesus has been raised and exalted, the church has a message to proclaim. The church has good news to proclaim. And friends, because Jesus has been raised, we know that God has approved the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And Peter said, this is the message that I need to proclaim. Because Jesus has been raised, we know that everything that he said was true. When he said, wait such as come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, we know that those words are true because he has been raised by God. Jesus has been raised by God and we know that we have forgiveness of sin. We know that death has been conquered. Because Jesus has been raised, we have no fear of the future judgment of God. Because Jesus has been raised, we have the personal fellowship and protection of Jesus Christ. In Matthew 28, he says, I am with you always to the end of the age. Because Jesus has been raised, we have the Holy Spirit. We have an advocate for us forever. And because Jesus has been raised, we too will be raised again, never to die again. And brethren, the resurrection of Jesus is key. Without the resurrection, there's no salvation. Without it, there's no Christianity. And this is what the Apostle Peter preached as he stood up to explain Pentecost. And friends, the Apostles did not preach dry academic theology 
They showed how man is affected by this truth and how man should respond. They called for people to respond to the truth. And we see that they preached that mercy and grace is available for sinners. Look at verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. You see, brethren, the text tells us that when these people heard this, they were cut to the heart. See, this means that they were convicted. They were sorrowful. They were heartbroken. You see, they realized that it was because of their sin that Jesus was crucified. See, the, sin, the, the, the hymn says, it was my sin that held him there. And they said to Peter and the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? What is the remedy for this condition that we are in? Verse 38, Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. See, the disciples pressed people with the message of God and they pressed them to respond to this truth. Repent and obey. Faith and obedience. This is what God wants. Turn away from sin. Turn to Jesus Christ. Trust in Him as an exclusive Savior. Obey Him. Perhaps there were some in the crowd saying, I was one of those who screamed, Crucify Him. Is there any salvation for me? Peter says, Repent and be baptized. Every one of you. Perhaps one was doubting and saying, I was one of those who mocked him. Is there any salvation for me? The message of Peter is repent and be baptized, every one of you. Perhaps one in the crowd might have said, I was one of those who gambled for his clothes. Is there any salvation? Will he save me? The message of Peter is repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the salvation of your souls. Perhaps some say, I was one of those who whipped him and who spat upon him. I was one of those who mocked him and who ridiculed him. And what is the message of Peter to all kinds of sinners? Repent and be baptized, every one of you. And one might say, I was one of those who laughed at him. I was one of those who rejected his message. I was one of those who ridiculed him, who laughed at his teachings, who ignored at him while he was here on earth. Will he save me? Is there any salvation for me? And the message of Peter is repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of sins. And perhaps you are here this morning and asking, is there any salvation for me? Friend, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. You might say, I've done a lot. Can God forgive all my sins? My friend, my message for you this morning is the same message that Peter preached. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, 
for the salvation of your souls. Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Maybe you are here and you say, I cannot forgive myself. My friend, the forgiveness that you need is from God. And repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sin. And perhaps you are here, you say, I have serious struggles with sin. I don't think I can change, my friend. Here's the message for you. Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Remember, he breaks the power of cancel sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood is available for me. Trust Jesus. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord, our God, calls to himself. Now, children, listen to me. Kids, the young kids, listen to me now. The Bible says that every one of you, when you disobey your parents, when you were born, you were born in sin. And, and you will know that every one of you has at one point disobeyed your parents. And God promises to save you from his anger, to save you from his forever punishment, and bring you into heaven, into joy with him. And he says he's not going to do that because your parents come to church or your parents are believers. You must go in the same way that your parents went in. You must believe in Jesus Christ as a savior. Trust in him for the forgiveness of your sins. And he will forgive you forever for the rest of your life. You don't have to live in fear that God will reject you. And so, never ever think that because your parents are Christians, you are also Christians. The promise is for you and for your children. The children must go the same way that the parents go in, by trusting in the promise of Jesus Christ, that you repent and trust and obey in Him for your salvation. The same thing for everyone. Trust in the complete work of Jesus Christ. Salvation is available for all who repent and obey. Faith and obedience. This is what God requires. Church, if we are to be a true church as God intended, we must be committed to thoroughly, thoroughly, Understanding the significance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You must be committed to proclaiming Jesus Christ boldly. And we must preach salvation in Jesus Christ alone. And listen to how this hymn speaks about this commitment of one who has truly understood that Jesus has died for them and now they must live for them and proclaim the wondrous truth of Jesus Christ to the world. Oh, for a thousand times to sing, my great 
redeem us praise. The glories of my God and King, the triumphs of His grace. My gracious Master and my God, assist me to proclaim, to spread through all the earth abroad the honors of your name. May this be true of us as we celebrate this Resurrection Sunday. May this be true of us. May this be our new conviction that we would be assisted to proclaim and to spread through all the earth abroad the honors of our great, gracious Master and God, Jesus Christ. Amen.